Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so deeply indebted this morning to your infinite mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we come before the Word of God this morning humbled by our great inability to understand anything without the aid of the Holy Spirit being our teacher and our guide. And Lord, we pray that you would this morning once again help us, teach us to pray. Help us, dear God, that we might do it in a way that fashion that honors and glorifies your name. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. A lot of the hymns and psalms that we sung this morning and also that passage of Scripture in Psalm spoke much of what our text is this morning when our Lord was asked or that he might teach his disciples to pray. We come to a portion of Scripture which is of itself difficult and hard to understand. But allow me this morning, before we begin, to give you some advice that the Lord has given me over the years, <clears throat> and I hope and pray that you would seriously consider that before we embark upon this passage of Scripture this morning. Over the past few years, especially since my studying of this passage of Scripture, it has become ever so clear to me how prone we are by our reading and studying of other books besides Scripture to often look at Scripture through the opinion and teachings of men and not of Scripture with Scripture. I speak this morning from sad experience, for when I was a young believer many years ago, I was influenced by the teaching of some concerning this passage of Scripture and others, but especially this one, not to be very much concerned about it. For it was merely our Lord explaining the manner in which we should pray. And I believe subconsciously they threw a cloud upon it, that made me for years not avoid, but not to look at this passage of Scripture in the light that I should have. Even some of the great divines, if you wish to say, call them that, in their commentaries, often over the years have kind of spread a doubt on this passage of Scripture that it's not that important. Even the great man of John Gill, in his commentary, kind of 
spreads a cloud over this passage of Scripture that it's not that significant. The apostles never used it, and therefore, though it is the Word of God, its regards to prayer is somewhat shadowy. I believe that's been a grave mistake, and I believe has greatly harmed me. The printing of many books on God and theology, though of themselves not sinful and can be beneficial, have sadly produced, I believe, not only a spirit of slothfulness and laziness in the study of Scripture, myself being an example of that slothfulness in my past years, but also of no fault of the authors, I don't blame them, but also have led many to rest in the study and labors of others while neglecting to study Scripture on their own. It is my desire, and I am assured of every preacher, every preacher's desire, that you would always hold Scripture above all things. Read it. Meditate in it day and night. Let it be the final authority. Study and labor in the Word of God that you might come to know the truth of God yourself. For though the authors be the most pious and godly of men, and though their words be ever so elegant and lofty, and even stirring oftentimes in our hearts, never forget they are but men. Their words are simply men's words. I believe we lose something concerning the comfort of Scripture when we rest in the labors of others and yet know nothing of the joys of our own labors in the study of God's Word. Paul's exhortation to Timothy comes to mind when he said, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Studying of God's word requires labor and diligence and patience and perseverance. The Bereans were more noble, Paul said, than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's why I encourage you this morning before we begin that you would always be diligent in studying the Word of God Pray that God would give us all hearts to persevere in our study of His Word and hold it highly in esteem above the writings of men. For beloved, I'm telling you from experience over the years, and I'm sure you can bear witness to this, for not only in all our afflictions, it's only the Word of God that comforts us, not the words of men, the word of God, but also in the end, if God be pleased to cause this 
fleshly tabernacle to stagger before death. It will not be the wisdom we have learned of men, which shall comfort our souls, but only the word of God. I'm telling you, and I'm speaking from not only personal experience, but what I've seen in aged saints of God, even some to this very moment are struggling with comfort as they approach the final days of this life. It's not men's words that shall comfort our souls. It will be only the Word of God. And so for, therefore this morning, before we begin, I encourage you to study diligently the Word of God on your own. I'm not saying we should not read other books. I guess Spurgeon said it best when he said, be a master of many books and the servant of one, but be careful that you do not, that you do not look at Scripture through the wisdom and labors of other men, but learn how to look at Scripture on your own. Study to show yourself approved unto God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What I just said had much to do with this verse because the debates and confusions concerning this sixth instruction of Christ on prayer are not a few. Some having even debated its place in Scripture, if you believe that or not. While others who find these words of Christ hard to understand, rest these words to fit their own corrupt opinions and ideas. Listen to the words of Christ, having said that, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Beloved, we must always give great diligence especially with those passages of Scripture which are at first difficult and hard to be understood, we must ever give great diligence to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We say that so flippantly sometimes. We say that so innocently sometimes. Yes, interpret Scripture with Scripture. But, beloved, believe me, even when we do that, we must humbly confess that we are often in the light of Scripture left to the darkness of our own ignorance and limited understanding. We're speaking of Scripture. So even when we compare Scripture with Scripture, sometimes we're left humbly confused and in our ignorance. And yet we must learn to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Even then, we must learn to wait on God for understanding and not in our haste to know, rest, God's Word, simply that we might come to a conclusion. I fear that's a lost virtue as well. People waiting, waiting on the Word of God. You ever considered that? You ever considered that God would have us wait on the Word of God until He grant us understanding? Habakkuk or Habakkuk, uh, the Lord speaking to him said, Alright, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Can we not, all of us this morning, bear witness over the years how 
God's words seem to, at one time in our life, make more sense than earlier. We'll read something and say, how did I miss that? Or, I've never seen that before. But in our haste to know all things, we rest the Word of God to make it say something it doesn't. If you have no clear understanding of that passage of Scripture, beloved, I beg you to look at Scripture with Scripture. And if you still do not come to an understanding, I beg of you to wait on God. Just wait on God. Don't try to make it fit into your theology. Don't try to make it fit into your opinions. Simply wait on God. Even our Lord, speaking to the disciples before He was crucified in John chapter 16, said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't bear them now. I have a lot of things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. He does say later on, but when the Spirit cometh, He'll reveal unto you. But He said, I had many things I wish to speak to you of, but you cannot bear them now. How often, dearly beloved, have we learned the blessings and comforts of God's Word in the midst of our afflictions and trials? We must learn to wait on God's Word. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hear the divine instructions of our merciful and faithful high priest. Sounds like him, doesn't it? The only mediator between God and man. Listen to it again. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's our merciful and faithful high priest who instructs us on prayer. He who alone could make reconciliation for the sins of his people would now instruct us on praying for forgiveness of sins and temptation. Who better to instruct us in this manner of prayer than the only mediator between God and man? Do you hear the voice of our mediator, of our high priest? teaching us, instructing us on how to pray concerning our sins and temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He who would have us pray for forgiveness of our sins would also have us pray that God keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. You see, it's not enough, according to his instructions, that we confess our sins, but he would have us also pray that God would keep us from temptation and deliver us from sin. You see, the true heart of a child of God knows that he sins and he confesses his sins, but his desire is not to sin. Thank God He forgives us our sins, but His desire is not to sin. So what do we do? We turn to God and say, Lord, forgive us our sins, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep us from sinning. Praise God for confession of sins and God's forgiveness, but the child of God would rather not sin. 
And so what do we do? Christ instructs us that we must trust in God. We must turn to God to keep us. And to lead us not into temptation. And if we do, I'm getting ahead of myself. And if we do, deliver us from the evil. To this end, Christ would instruct us to pray. And I hope and pray this morning that we'll understand exactly what our, what our Lord is teaching us here because there's great comfort in this petition. And I pray that we would find comfort in this petition every time we go to prayer concerning sin and temptation. The believer thanks God. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. Yes, that's blessed. But a true child of God seeks not to sin. He does not use confession and God's forgiveness as a crutch or an excuse. He doesn't turn the grace of God into lasciviousness so that he might sin more. No, Christ says, when you sin, confess your sins, but also pray that you be led not into temptation and that you'll be delivered from evil. Look over First John. First John chapter one, a very well known passage of scripture. John speaks this same form of instructions to us in First John chapter one, verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess, here it is, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a blessing. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But watch how he further goes on in chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. I'm not writing these things that you sin. I'm writing these things that you do not sin. And if any man sin, lead us not into temptation, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It almost echoes the instructions Christ gives us in this sixth petition. I write these things that you sin not. But if any man sin, confess our sins, forgive us our sins, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. These words were most confusing to me for many years as a young Christian. And they still, to this day, confuse many. Because at first, these words of Christ on prayer seemed to be very confusing. For why would God, why would God lead us into temptation? And that's what the words imply. God can lead, lead us not into temptation. Why would God do that? Does not James declare that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man? Then what is Christ bidding us to do in this petition? If God does not tempt us with sin, why do we pray God lead us not into temptation? And oh, there's been many who's tried to rest these words to say what they not say, to fit their own corrupt opinions and theology, but let us let the Word of God speak for itself. And that's what I want to encourage you this morning. That's why I said those words in the beginning. I want to encourage you this morning to let Scripture speak for itself. Because that is exactly what our Lord is saying. That God 
being sovereign, we bid him not to lead us into temptation. Christ doesn't say, pray ye that God tempt you not, but he says, pray God lead us not into temptation. Why does he say lead us not? Well, what, what was it? what's the word leading imply? That God has the sovereign power to lead or not. What Christ is doing is he's saying in prayer, humbly submit to God's sovereignty, even in all our temptations, lead us not. God is sovereign in all things. Why do we, as people who believe in the sovereignty of God, so often when it comes to difficult verses like this, want to kind of excuse it, or we want to, we want to find some way to rest it and, 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 and make it say something it doesn't? Christ is simply here telling us, submit yourself to the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign in all things, even in all our temptations. Follow me, because I really want you to understand the blessings for which Christ wants us to pray for. Lead us not, beloved, is a humble submission and acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. And it is to that purpose we are instructed to humbly pray. For all temptations, follow me, for all temptations, be they the trying of our faith, the temptations of Satan, the temptations of this world, and even our own temptations within our own hearts, God is still sovereign over all of them. Follow me now. God is still sovereign over all of them. This is where people who don't believe in the sovereignty of God fall into trouble. And when they make it all works, they make it miserable. One of the hymns or psalms we sang mentions something about not knowing the words of God. It makes them miserable. They don't have any comforts. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Christ would have us pray to humbly submit to God's sovereignty in all our temptations, be they of the trying of our faith, be they the temptations of Satan, be they the temptations of the world, even the temptations from our own hearts. God is sovereign in all, and so we bow to that, and we pray, lead us not into temptation. Let me give an example on a few of the very most difficult temptations of which people struggle with this passage of Scripture. Um, let's speak, first of all, the temptations of Satan. Now we say, oh, well, God wouldn't lead us into that kind of temptation. Well, I, I beg to differ. And so does Scripture. Satan was allowed by God to test Job, remember? Job couldn't do it without God's permission, right? Didn't Satan ask permission? Yet, when Job was tempted, Job recognizes God's hand in it, not Satan's. For he says, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Lead us not into temptation. God was sovereign in that. God allowed Satan, permitted Satan to tempt Job. You think God would not allow Satan to tempt us? Christ says, submit to the sovereignty of God. And ask God in prayer, lead us not into temptation. You remember how... Our Lord spoke to Peter and said, Satan does desire to sift his wheat. Desire means he's subjected, he's bequested, he's asked, 
He's requested. God could have said, you ain't touching Peter. The Lord didn't say he can't do it. The Lord simply said, but I prayed for your faith. When you're converted, strengthen your brethren. You see, God is sovereign in that as well. Oh, let's take it one step further and even much more higher. Even Christ himself, the Bible says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. To what? To be tempted by the devil. Even Christ himself, he was led. Lead us not into temptation. Do you see what our Lord is saying here regarding temptations? We humbly acknowledge, we humbly submit in this petition, in this prayer before God. God, lead us not into temptation. Every temptation is in your sovereign hand. Every temptation is permitted by your sovereign will. We ask of thee that you lead us not into temptation. You say, well, God can do what he wants. That's correct. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But Christ would have us petition God not to lead us into temptation. I'm getting ahead of myself. What if he does? What if he allows temptation? Well, we're getting to that. Then deliver us from this evil. Yet none of these, Christ, Peter, even Job, were the worst because of it. For God delivered them from evil. Lead us not in temptation. If that is your sovereign will, if you're permitted, if you permit us to fall into temptation, if you permit us to be tempted, not being the author of sin, but you permit it, you allow it, you're sovereign, then deliver us from the evil. And the Lord did deliver them from the evil. How do you know? Well, was not the latter end of Job blessed more than his beginning? Is what the Bible says. Peter's faith failed not, and afterwards, when, it was, when, it was, when he was converted, our Lord said, he strengthened his brethren. So yes, he delivered them from the evil. Even Christ, when he went into the temptation, the scripture says he was full of the Holy Spirit. When he came out of that temptation, it says he returned from such temptations in the power of the Spirit. There's a meaning why the Lord Holy Spirit put that in there. When he went into his full of the Holy Spirit, read Luke 4, when he comes out of it, he returned in the power of the Spirit of God. So you see, God did deliver them from the evil. You, you see what our Lord is telling us here in the sixth petition? Though God is sovereign and his way is the perfect way, his will is the perfect will, Christ would still have us to petition God not to lead us into temptation. Not to lead us. Everything's in the sovereign control of God. Everything rests in God's sovereignty. If by reasons known only to God, he sovereignly leads us or permits us into temptation, we have the assurance in this same prayer that he will deliver us from its evil. I like these two words. I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Lead us not. Back in Luke chapter 11 says, lead us not, lead, sovereign, but deliver. God will either lead or he'll deliver. Either it's by his permission, and if it does happen, and he allows it to happen, 
he promises to deliver. You see that twofold comfort there? You see, see how this petition gives us a twofold comfort? Lead us not to temptation, but Lord, if it be thy will, if for some reason known unto me, it be thy will that Satan, Satan sift me, if it be thy will that Satan try me, Lord, I pray that you would deliver me from the evil. I pray not, the Lord said, that you take them out of the world, but, you keep, but that you keep them from the what? From the evil. Why do people have a hard time understanding that? Why do they have a hard time Understanding what our Lord is saying. What about those temptations that arise from within? <laughs> Against those two, we are instructed to pray that God lead us not into. What do you mean by that? Follow me. In the light of Scripture. Do you believe God can keep you and I from sinning? I think if we believe in the seven to God, we'll immediately say, well, yes. Well, that's what this petition is praying. You remember Abimelech and Abraham's wife? And Abimelech said, oh, man, she's a fine-looking woman. I'm going to take her to myself. And Abraham said, oh, she's my sister. And Abimelech later on found out that it was the wife of Abraham, and God came to speak to him. And Abimelech said, but, Lord, I didn't know. You know what God told him? He said, ah, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. I kept you from sinning against me. Leave us not into temptation. You don't think God can keep us from sinning? Yes, He can. This is part of the petition. Leave us not into temptation. Let me not fall into sin. Let me not fall into the temptation. Remember when David went to kill Nabal and Abigail met him? <laughs> Abigail said, This was God keeping David from shedding innocent blood. And David said, I thank God that he used you to keep me from shedding innocent blood. God used Abigail to keep David from sinning. Even Hosea, the prophet, speaks of God hedging our way up, that we can't go here or there, that we might return to him, he said. God can hedge our way up. God can do all things. God is sovereign. Why do we limit his sovereignty only to salvation or to creation? Why can't we, why can't we believe that God is sovereign also over all our temptations? He's sovereign in all those things, and Christ would have us humbly bow, submit ourselves to that by saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Psalm 141, verse 4, the psalmist says this, and I quote, Incline not my heart to any evil thing. Who do you think he's praying to? Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. I love that. Let me not eat of their dainties, those things that are so pleasurable to the sinful man. Let me not eat of those dainties. Lord, keep my heart. And we're even in Proverbs told to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So you see, when Christ says, this is what you need to pray, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Humbly submit yourself to God's sovereignty even in all your temptations. Whether they be for the trying of your faith, the temptations of Satan, the temptations of the world, or even the own temptations that arise from your heart, submit yourself to God's sovereignty 
God, lead me not into temptation. This does not make God the author of sin, nor does it mean that God tempts us to sin. It's simply submitting ourselves to God's sovereignty and beseeching him to lead us not. Now, with all that said, <clears throat> we come to another question in our text. What about those times when God appears to permit or allow, even lead us into temptation. We pray for that. We pray God lead us not into it. But what about those times when we do? Let me ask you more questions on top of that question. Could God have permitted Satan or not permitted Satan to test Job? Could God have stopped Job or Satan from tempting Job? Of course he could. Why didn't he? Why would God allow Job to go through? So we read the book of Job and we read it you know, like the Daily Bread or like the Reader's Digest. We don't really consider what we're reading. Do you imagine? Can you imagine how much pain and suffering Job went through? Why would God allow his servant to go through that? He was a righteous man. Even God testified to that. Look at my righteous man, Job. In fact, God was the one that brought Satan's attention upon him. God is the one that actually provoked Satan against Job. Why would God do that? Could he have not permitted Satan to sift Peter when Satan requested it? Could God have said, no, you're not touching my anointed? Peter suffered much from that. He wept bitterly because of that. Could God have not permitted Satan to sift Peter? Of course he could. Why didn't he? Let me ask you even another question. The man after God's own heart, what a testimony. The man after God's own heart. Could he have not kept David from sinning with Bathsheba? Oh, I'm not saying that God is the author of David's sin or God was the cause of it, but could God have not permitted David to fall into sin? He could have. If you don't believe that, then you have to believe that God is not sovereign and knoweth all things. The answer is without doubt, yes, to all these things. And here's the problem we have. We want to know everything that God does. And sometimes God don't let us. We know that from that all that, there was a Solomon whom God loved. We know that out of all that with Peter, he strengthened his brethren. Look at Second Peter when he talks about uh, Satan and his attacks. We know that the latter end of Job was better. We didn't know that when it all started, though, did we? <laughs> Job didn't know his latter end would be better. Peter didn't know he'd be able to strengthen his brethren. But who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? 
Do you see how the sixth petition is full of mystery as well as comfort and sovereignty and peace and joy? There's a mystery to this. Lead us not into temptation. Leave it alone. Don't try to twist it to say something you want it to say. Or to fit your corrupt opinions and theology. Leave Scripture alone and lead us not in temptation. Submit yourself to the sovereignty of God in all your temptations. Now the sinful man, or to the sinful man anyway, this is simply a cop-out. A lame excuse. Oh, you always say that. Well, God, you know, you get to a point you can't understand something. You say, well, only God can figure that out. And they say that's a cop-out. That's a lame excuse. But no, the true child of God understands and believes that the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Job didn't understand. He says, I go to the right and the left in front of me, back of me. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea what he's doing. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I've been trying to figure it out for all these chapters. I can't figure it out, but he knows the way that I take. That's the believer's assurance. We know our God. He that knoweth his God shall do great exploits. Daniel. It's coming from our knowledge of God, of who God is. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous uh, runneth into it. That's why I said in the very beginning, it's not the wisdom of men's words that's going to give us comfort during these times that we're praying about. It's solely the Word of God. So read and study the Word of God, for it, it alone, can comfort us in all our afflictions, in all our trials, in all our times. And even though God still leaves us in the dark concerning many things about Himself and His dealings with us, it's by faith that we know that everything that God does is good. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. Why does God allow such things to happen? We know not. We're Christians and we love God and we love the Scriptures, but beloved, we know there's many things about God that we know not and we will not know in this life. But one thing we do know, that whatever God does, it's good. Because we know Him. So Christ would say, when it comes to sins, confess your sins, even as you forgive those who sin against you, and pray to your Father to lead you not into temptation. Submit yourself to his sovereignty. Can you imagine praying that in the light of understanding that he's sovereign over all temptations? Lord, I ask you that you lead us not into temptation. I had to practice this this morning when I got texts from people who <laughs> are supposed to work today and can't show up and I don't have anybody to work and I'm going to Sunday, Lord. And it's like, okay, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Let me not look at this wrongly. Let me not look at this in any way that dishonors you. Lead me not into this temptation of being angry or bitter or uh, whatever reason, but lead me not into temptation. This is what he's talking about. This is what we pray. When you sense it, when you feel it, the temptation is rising to be angry or to do something or say something or to go somewhere. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Help me. Deliver me from this. 
And Lord, if by reason of my own fault and not yours, that I fall into it, then deliver me from the evil of it. And I like how the Lord kind of ends this whole thing, which is not here in our text, but we're going to look at next week from Matthew. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, and thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That is the kingdom, the power, the humble submission. Everything in these petitions is a humble submission to the sovereignty, grace, mercy, love, and compassion, patience, long-suffering of God. Trials do not come out of nowhere. Temptations, no matter what they are, no matter what they be, no matter from who they come from, they're still all governed by the sovereign hand of God. And that's our comfort. If God, for reasons known only unto himself, allows Satan to sift us, we know that God will deliver us from the evil. If we fall into our own sinful lust and pride, we confess our sins, we know God will deliver us from the evil and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see how this sixth petition lays us humbly before God in all our temptations to submit ourselves to God? Though God is sovereign, He would still have us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this sixth petition. Lord, for so many years, Father, Lord, we've struggled with this whole thing of temptation and Satan and the world and our own faults and problems. Lord, I pray that we would understand from your instructing us on this sixth petition that, Lord, we need to be praying this more often in our lives. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And I pray, Father, Lord, it worked effectually in our hearts and our lives. Father, we thank you that, Lord, we can come to you and freely confess our sins and that you'll forgive us for all unrighteousness and you'll cleanse us. But, Lord... We also more earnestly pray that you would help us not to sin. Help us, dear Lord God, when we sense temptation, no matter from where it comes, help us to remember this sixth petition. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil. And may we know the power of it and the comfort of it. Lord, we thank you so much for all your goodness, grace, and mercy. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.